0: Great am I on? Yes uh, Well good morning. Uh, as Adam said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ellie. I'm the community pastor here at St. Paul's and um, it's my delight to bring you just another light-hearted topic for a Sunday morning. <laughs> 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 Judgment, but it's okay. it's all right. it's good news because Jesus always has good news for us. and as we have been exploring and discovering through the whole of this sermon series of the Sermon on the Mount. The ways of Jesus, as he shows us how to follow him, what it looks like to be his disciple, actually, those ways are always about bringing us more freedom, more joy, and a full life in him. And this morning, even though the words may seem quite big and heavy, it is no exception. And judgment is an important topic because it affects all of us. We make judgment calls, whether we know it or not, every single day. To judge something or someone means to form an opinion or come to a conclusion about something. And actually, in itself, it's not always a bad thing. And sometimes, it is a very necessary thing. And I would just like to start by addressing some of the big judgment topics this morning. So first of all, and you can write this in the Facebook um, if you're watching online, Jaffa Cakes, cake or biscuit. Uh, Oh, we can't cheer. A sort of clap for cake. Okay, clap for biscuit. No, cake, totally cake. Uh, Scones, jam first or clotted cream first? So, jam first. Okay, clotted cream first. Yes, you are my people. And finally, Marmite yes or no. So yes and no. I felt like someone was drumming their feet there for a second. They felt very passionately about this. These are the big questions um, which God has given us the discernment to decide for ourselves. Some of us better than others, but um, but actually, we do have to make important judgments all the time. I was having some dinner with some friends the other evening, and they were having to make a judgment about whether or not to let one of their children have a sleepover with a friend. Was that family someone they were happy for them to go and stay with? Was that safe? Would they be Okay. We've had a year where we have, or 18 months, where we have constantly had to form opinions and make decisions about who we can spend time with, how we can spend time with people. We have to judge a situation and make a decision about the action to take. And then there are times in our society when it is necessary to make a judgment about people and character. We have to make a decision about the things that people have been accused of and whether or not they're safe to live in our society. So when Jesus says, don't judge others, is he talking about that kind of judgment? Is he saying, let your kids go off with anyone and there's no consequences if you do a bad thing? I don't think so. As human beings, we've been given a sense of justice, of right and wrong. And we've been given the gifts of discernment and a brain and a soul to work out our way through things. That gives people the opportunity to thrive and flourish God has given us positions of authority and responsibility to steward relationships in society. Judgment is an inevitable part of that. And the problem with saying, let's not judge, let's not bother about our faults, let's not get involved in other people's business, is that actually it doesn't fully address the root problem which the passage identifies, which is this. You've got something in your eye. I've got something in my eye. Someone else has got something in their eye. And what Jesus is concerned about is how do you get it out? And he's really clear about this. It needs to come out, but it's not going to come out through judgment. Transformation, the coming of the kingdom of God, which is one of righteousness, peace, and joy, is not a kingdom birthed out of judgment. And the call in our passage this morning is ultimately about relationship. Firstly, it's about our relationship with God, and it's about our relationship with one another. And as we've seen so often in these teachings of Jesus, he wants us to grasp that the kingdom of God offers us a different way, a different way and a better way to live in relationship with one another, and one that ultimately leads us into a deeper life of freedom, but also transforms us to be people who offer life to others in Jesus' name. It has been a very interesting experience over the last couple of days writing this sermon, as my phone has pinged every couple of hours with news alerts of the latest developments in political scandal and disgrace. What is it that makes us so quick to point out others' faults? Is it a sense of injustice, a sense of moral integrity? Maybe, sometimes, and actually holding one another to account, longing for a sense of moral integrity in society is a good thing. But Jesus suggests to us this morning that most of the time, we just really like pointing out other people's faults. There is something in us that is comforted by being able to point at someone else and going, they've messed up, they've fallen short. They're going to get what they deserve. Because when we're busy looking at other people's faults, it's so much easier not to have to notice our own. Paul writes in Romans 3, he says this, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think sometimes there's just something good for us to sit with those words for a moment. It's not about condemnation, God's not in the business of that. But it is the starting place of this passage that maybe it's a recognition that the gospel is the one and only leveler because in the light of his glory, his purity, his beauty and his holiness and his goodness, there is nothing that you or I can do that will pardon us from our sin. Your paycheck, your education, your social status, by our own goodness or our own efforts, the gospel says you are no more pardoned or off the hook than the guy who had the affair, than the guy who's fiddling the accounts at work, than the person who cheats or lies, or the the person who's standing in the dock. We are all sinners. And we all, in our own fallen humanness, the very brokenness of our hearts, we all fall short of the wonderful glory of God. And most of us, at a very deep level, know it. There's a reason why after Eve picked the apple in the garden the first thing that she and Adam do is they hide from God. They didn't even know why but they suddenly saw their nakedness and they hid from him. The very act of their rebellion against God was enough to force them into hiding without even knowing what had happened they were ashamed. That's what sin does to us, that's why God hates it so much because it separates us from him. Verse 3 in our passage this morning tells us there is a big plank of wood in the way. That means we can't see right. We can't see him. We can't get to him. And it also means that we can't get to each other. Jesus is pointing out in our passage this morning, he's going, There's a problem. Our relationships with one another are broken, there's stuff in the way. We hurt one another. We mess up with one another. And the easiest way to hide ourselves from that innate sense of shame is to point out other flaws. And here's the thing about judgment. When you're judging someone, when you are pointing out their flaws and their mistakes, you don't have to get close to them. You can stand on the other side of the room and shout at someone, you've got something in your eye. But you don't have to get close to them. You don't have to risk being near them, it is the easiest thing in the world to point away from ourselves. But if you've ever actually tried to get something out of somebody's eye, you have to get really close. It's actually quite awkward, isn't it? (laughs) Because you have to let them see you. And if they can see you, then they can see what's in your eyes too. The second half of that verse that Paul writes in Romans is this. He starts off, he says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a plank of wood in all our eyes that most of us are trying to either ignore or fix ourselves. And the gospel says that Jesus comes And he lays himself out on that plank of wood. He's nailed to it. He bears the weight of it that we are so afraid and so ashamed of and so quick to try and hide from. And rather than expose us or judge us as we rightly deserve, he dies in our place. He bears the weight of it. He pays the wages of it. And he dies in our place so that we can be completely free. All the splinters removed. Complete freedom. And the invitation of the gospel at the heart of this passage is the invitation of Jesus that says, Bring me your sin. And if you don't know that you've been set free by grace, if you haven't received that freely, you will never be able to set anyone else free too. You will expect them to have to work it out because you think you have to work it out. You will expect them to have to play by the same self-righteous rules that you're playing by because a heart that is not surrendered to the grace of the gospel will always dish out the same judgment by which we are bonded ourselves. We live in a culture that is riddled with this kind of bondage, and sometimes even in church, but the starting place is bring him your log, bring him your plank, bring him your sin and your shame, and hear him say, I forgive you. You're good enough for me. And if we can't hear that for ourselves, if we haven't experienced that transformation of the miracle of grace in our own hearts, we'll never be able to declare it over anyone else. A few years ago, uh, in my previous church and job, I was working uh, with a group of mums in Richmond, just down the road. And my colleague and I invited them along to a parenting course um, that we'd started doing. Um, my colleague was actually running. And all of these mums, uh, they were, most of them were parenting on their own. They were struggling with lots of different vulnerabilities and difficulties and many of them would have faced judgment in their lives over many different aspects of their lives. Many of them were fully aware of their own mess and their own difficulties. And people having pointed out to them all the things they were doing wrong, interestingly, hadn't actually changed or enabled them to make any changes, which tells you all you need to know about judgment. But during one of the sessions, my colleague um, who was one of the facilitators of the group, she shared some of her personal struggles as a parent. She just talked about some of the struggles in in their life. They've got two um, adopted children and, and the early days of that were quite tough. And she just shared some of that. She shared some of the stress, some of the feelings of failure, some of the difficulties. And she was just really vulnerable. And one of the ladies in the group said the most interesting thing. She said, do you know, you sharing your stress with me has really relieved the burden and the pressure of my own pain. It was an extraordinary group and we saw significant breakthrough for some of these women in beginning the process of change and healing. You sharing your vulnerability and your pain relieves the pressure of my pain. When you share your pain, when you share your struggle, when we don't hide but are vulnerable in community with one another, when we get up close and allow ourselves to be seen, that is actually when we begin to wash the wounds of those around us. Blind eyes begin to see. Splinters in the eyes begin to come out. Because when we know that we're forgiven, that righteous judgment has been taken for us, we are free... We are free to offer the same kind of grace to one another and to others. It's a radical way of addressing sin, of releasing people from shame, and it's only found in Jesus. He's the only way to freedom, because he's the only one who can defeat the power of sin. And he deals justly with judgment on the cross. We don't go unjudged, but we have a big brother who takes it for us and sets us free by grace. And his beautiful upside-down kingdom plan is that he then calls us to minister his grace to one another. He wants us to be those that bring his beauty and his glory by grace that freely we've received, so freely we might give. There's a story in John's Gospel um, in chapter 8, of a woman who has committed adultery. And I sometimes think when we tell this story, we dilute it down a little bit, but actually it's a fairly horrendous sort of scene and consequence. She's been, the Bible says she's been caught in the act of adultery and dragged into a public space where her sin has been exposed and the punishment to be determined, which is that she should be stoned to death. And sometimes I just try, try and imagine what that would be like what what that means for me in my life and I guess it's a bit like Adam dragging me before all of you in some kind of horrendous state of undress and telling you every bad thing that I've ever done of him somehow knowing all the things that I've ever done of him catching me doing something I shouldn't be doing and me being thrown before you and exposed in that way and everybody saying it's game over Ellie everything done your life's just over you lose your job you lose this you lose that that's it It's the sort of the most humiliating, horrendous thing that you could possibly imagine. And this woman is brought and she's thrown before these men. And according to the Mosaic law of the time, there would have been those standing around who would have uttered the words, she is getting what she deserves. The Mosaic law demands that she's judged and she's punished accordingly. And then into this scene, Jesus steps forward. And what's really interesting is he doesn't try and get her off the hook. He doesn't say, it's okay, adultery isn't a big deal. Actually, God grieves our sin. He knows it's a big deal. But he doesn't go to her first. Instead, he looks at the men who've all gathered and are all holding rocks in their hands, and he gives them one simple challenge. He says, okay, you've got no sin. Go ahead, throw your stones. And it's always interesting to me that John records particularly that it's the very eldest in the community who put down their rocks first, maybe knowing what it is to have lived a long life full of regrets and mistakes. And they slowly, one by one, walk away. And now she's left alone with an audience with Jesus. And he asks her a question. He says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I. Your sins are forgiven. They don't condemn you. Neither do I. It is the longing of God that his people might first minister his kindness through one another, to one another, that it would point to him. That as we choose to put down our rocks and instead choose the way of grace, that that act actually prophetically speaks the forgiveness and kindness of God over people's lives. By the grace of Jesus, we have the opportunity to live in such a way that we usher in the kingdom of God into the lives of people who are bound and broken and shamed by their sin. When I gave my life to Jesus, it wasn't because somebody won a clever argument with me, and I'm not even really sure, it was because I fully grasped at the time the weight of my sin and the glory of God. It's because I was loved into the kingdom. It's because I came into a community that didn't throw stones at me, that knew what I was up to and knew that my behavior wasn't quite there. But I was loved. I was loved in spite of my sin and my shame, And I tangibly experienced kindness and the grace of Jesus through relationship with others. Church, our community, and the people who live around us, those that you work with, your friends at school, the bus driver, the Sainsbury's delivery man, the politician on the front page of our paper, every person you encounter is desperately in need for an encounter with this kind of grace. And it is the only thing that brings the kind of transformation and life that we long for. If we hold on to the rocks in our hands, it only ever leads to death. But when we turn our faces to Jesus and let him tenderly first come and clean our hearts, wash away all the sin and the splinters, when we choose to receive grace for all our own mess, we'll never be able to throw a stone again. We'll be tempted because, you know, human, but we will begin to transform the community and the atmosphere around us, and we'll start to be those who are known by how they love one another. And does that mean that we ignore sin? No. There is an implicit understanding in this passage that we see and recognize and proactively address it. But kingdom relationships and the calling of Jesus is to become those who lead people into the transforming presence of Jesus right alongside them into a life of freedom and hope. We lead them to the cross where we all find ourselves freed from a plank of wood that another has bore for us and taken for us so that we get to live eternally free. Amen.